This is Parent Ed with David Swain. Hi, and welcome to Parent Ed Podcast. My name is David Swain. I'm the founder of Parent Ed. And today I'm joined by one of my very favorite parents in the world. And although uh, people have said, you know, why, why are you having, you know, a parent on who has three kids in college? I said, because she's a great parent. <laughs> and I think that I'm an equal opportunity parent employer. And so I really want, wanted her here. Just so you know, um, Jody is in uh, Honolulu right now, or in the backside of Honolulu right now. So welcome. Thank you. Aloha, everyone. Aloha is good. So good. So um, I've had a few podcasts that we started doing a couple days ago, and it's been wonderful. Now, I have uh, many single parents, many young parents, um, some teachers coming on. The idea is making this podcast, um, uh, you know, a, a community center for the Parent Ed platform. And so I'm really happy to have uh, to have you here. Um, with three sons in college already. It's incredible. It really seems incredible. <laughs> and so, and so what I'm, what I'd love for you to talk about a little bit is anything that you want to talk about, but really to talk about what that's like. I mean, this is a, this is kind of a moment in, in every parent's life. No, I mean, when you have your, your kids moved out of the house and they're starting their, you know, adultish, ne adultish careers and so what's going on in in that in that big and brilliant head of yours what are you thinking well, well big next steps and uh, certainly the pandemics made everything a little bit more challenging for them to get to their places um, and we're also transitioning one our third son back from Europe who did his high school um, there and he's attending university in the United States so we're resettling a little bit so there's some geographic refocusing going on yeah. um, and he has an older brother here um, which is helpful um, so I think it's it's been challenging in one way, but I think on the other hand, there's been a lot more one-on-one -on -one time with the adolescents in that period where things are a little more tumultuous. And for the restrictions, they've been home more. So there's sure. been a lot more conversations, a lot more um, sharing of concerns or doubts about what are next steps, what's coming next. Um, it was a big launch off for him, my third son, because he wasn't able to visit the colleges that he had to apply to. Uh, sure. um, and not having been on a college campus, that was a big step into the darkness, you know, the uh, shot in the dark. So um, we were able this year to do a three day summer stay on campus. They did open for a very small groups. So he went with a group of 20 and was able to live in a dorm and meet people with some similar interests and figure out where he was. And, and I think that's dispelled a huge amount of anxiety for, sure. you know, August 18th move in. <laughs> oh, wow. Good. So you're staying on that side until then, or will you be coming back? Well, we're, we're settled. My husband and I are settled in Europe. Um, and we'll stay there and sort of do the back and forth. And we're trying to transition our oldest son uh, he's just finished an MA, MFA, 
and he has a year to do some interesting work. So he's going to try and transition as well. It's been a decade and the boys have had some <laughs> tremendous international experiences, believe it or not, David. Yes, <laughs> it's been 10 years. No, <laughs> 10 years. Wow. That's great. That's really lovely. It's really interesting that you talk about um, uh, conversation. I just started reading this woman, Sherry Turkle. She wrote a book called Reclaiming Conversation. It's really quite an interesting one, which which brings me to the, to the next point. Um, she's talking about reclaiming conversation as part of part of a way of building skills, especially in families. And in, in it, she she has this one uh, sentence about the generation now that are all on on cell phones, on smartphones, and she uh, she says we are forever elsewhere. Oh, interesting. And I thought yes. the phrase, I, I think the phrase is so appropriate. And I think, you know, when you see so many um, kids that are elsewhere, I mean, we're all there. I mean, we're doing our, you know, our shopping and we're doing this and we're doing that, but we're not present. And so my question to you, and you brought it up right away about reclaiming conversation, is how important that really is, not just during the time of pandemic, um, but how important that is in terms of building family um, traditions and family uh, unity, and especially, and so maybe let's talk about that a little bit. I, well, think that's I, a I think that's a huge piece. You know, when we launched off 10 years ago, we had, you know, a large suburban home and everyone had their own room and you could text people to come to dinner and everybody had their own sort of spreadsheet of activities and, you know, resume building kinds of things as you do in the United States. And um, we went and moved to a small urban apartment. And this was the first time the boys had really shared physical space. And that was huge. And I think it was the first time they saw their parents. Of course, we always worked as a unit, but they became part of that unit. And so there was a little breakdown between the husband, wife, parent, partner, and children um, relationship and they became helpers because we were in a new country culture language which challenged our skill sets they weren't as easy to do things for us and so they became part of the team um, and I think that really close proximity didn't permit people to be in different physical spaces even though everyone had their phones um, we did a lot of discussion about social media and you know I have one user one very mild user and one anti. <laughs> um, and how I found that he finds time with his friends is on Discord. They speak. So they run like the old fashioned when my grandmother had those phones that you picked up and everybody in your neighborhood was on the same line. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> they, they've moved back into that because I think it's more satisfying than texting or having that distance. And of course, the kids weren't able to get together. A lot of social things went by the wayside sure. during the pandemic. And so I, I found that he was fairly innovative around a specific interest to be online uh, coding and, and working on projects with a group of young people. Um, and at first I was sort of... Mm, I would say reluctant about that time until I learned what he was doing. And I think that not only was he building coding skills and I, I think the social skills, as you pointed out to me, were really significant there that you didn't actually have to be together to be negotiating a group who would contribute this, you know, the art part, the coding part. So, so I think that's helped us refocus a, 
a little bit, just a lot of conversation. You get the morning breakfast before the rush and then dinner is, is sort of late and sacred. Those are two points in the day that we really, no matter what the schedule was, came together. Yeah, sure. Of course. And that's, this is, you know, exactly what I had written down is practicing conversation. And when you, when you're doing this and especially with, um, with the interests that, because I know this family, I know the boys and their interests are quite, quite diverse, I would diverse. say, quite diverse and really uh, specific, but, uh, but it seems to work. And, and I remember that time, um, when you, when you first moved, uh, into, into the city and i thought wow that's really something but the way you talk about it makes perfect sense that everybody had had to join in there was not a choice you know and to make that a team and i think that that's kind of a you know when people talk about the pandemic and how terrible it is and i can understand the adjustments and i understand the difficulties i mean i've been uh, where i am right now for three years i haven't moved and um uh, for me, for me, that's been great because it's allowed me to focus really on this project, on the on the Parent Ed podcasts and the and the other parts. But um, I think that it has it has an advantage of really working on um, conversational skills, on on social skills of the people who are around. I think it's a really wonderful thing. And I wanted to ask you that specifically because. I knew that you were in Europe and, and your boys, one was in the United States, the other two were, were in Europe and how that was, how that was able to um, transition or how that was able to be, to be worked on. Well, that created a lot of anxiety for us, just given the illness in the beginning, you didn't really know the severity, what your real risks were. And we had kids in two, two other countries uh, where borders were now borders. So we're used to being, moving freely. I think that's been a big adjustment. But I think that the core relationships that we built being in such small space. And and one of the things that really allowed to flourish was that inter-sibling uh, thing. So even though my children are spaced out, they're very, very close just because they were spaced in Spaced out in space. age. Spaced out spaced in age. Spaced in age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that too. Uh, <laughs> but but you would think with that disparity of age that there may not be much interest or overlay. And what I found is that there's lots of mentoring going on. Yeah. And because they have disparate, <clears throat> disparate skill sets, you know, the middle one calls the younger one for the computer things and they call the older one for how do I break down these literary I'm working on a project and how would I, so what I find is that they're communicating regularly and about things which are more relevant to them. How can I help? How can I share what I've learned or what my interests are? Because you don't have the same skills or interests. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they've kept in touch more often, but as we all know, there's no substitute for in person. Um, but it does, it does help to be in regular contact. And what I found is the boys have gone to college. We still have that regular contact. They're checking in regularly to share about what they're doing. Um, not so much needing help because I have to say with all this, um, overseas experience and independent sort of growing along the way, they are very, very autonomous. Um, but they call to share. And then, and there's sort of an expectation that we're 
doing something cool. <laughs> so yeah, we, right. we've had Don't to up wish. our game a little bit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't you wish you were here? Yeah, that's funny. That's great. Yeah. Very good. Well, yeah. so so the idea is about about that very thing is how how that communication came about because they are very different. They have different interests. I, I love hearing that that they called they called the younger one for. For computer help, I think that that's really wonderful, really good. So then, um, so the idea is that are you? Did I ask you this? Are you, are you staying in in the states until the the start of the? It's still the, the start of the school year. The school so year. I'll yeah. I'll actually take Julian, and he has a move in date, and he'll have more more things. I think the middle one we sent with two suitcases and a ticket. <laughs> But, but Jules, I had the luxury to be available to move him in. Um, and I think that he's going to take to it fairly, fairly quickly. Um, and then we'll try and do some back and forth um, right. visit here and um, get the third one settled. I think my oldest son is going to transition for a year to do some work before going on um, and doing another advanced degree. Okay. So. Okay. In Europe as well, or you don't know? Yes, in Europe. He had an opportunity through the director of his university. He's writing a new program and has invited him to do this additional taught master's program in London. Oh, and great. so he was quite keen on that um, because his industry, which is theater and film, is in huge transition. Um, and so there's lots going into live performance and entertainment from a studio. Um, and so he's interested to get some work experience and here, come back because it's been a little while. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. And then continue. So, so I find that the, despite the pandemic, the kids' focus has remained very, they have different interests, but they're very particular and they're very focused. Yeah. Um, and they've been each able to continue progressing um, at, at great effort, right? It's not really easy to do the outreach and the find internships when there's unemployment and things like this, but they've stayed focused. And I think that's helped them stay connected, uh, either in a work setting an experience setting. So they have people to check in with. Um, sure. Of course. And so one of the things that, that we talked about, I know a couple months ago was when you were starting on that, uh, on the application processes, uh, for mm -hmm. Julian. And one of the things that we talked briefly about was, um, the, I don't know if it was a fear, but, a, a, an apprehension about being in, a, an American university after having lived in, in Europe for, you know, 10 years and developing there and your concerns about, about, I don't want to get too political here, but the idea of being back in the United States in terms of a, a college campus and uh, and that kind of influence. Do you have thoughts or, or apprehensions about that? I know that the, yeah. the program is specifically coding, and for him that's a spectacular uh, field of interest. But the social part of it, I know that some of the, the, the families that I worked with um, in, in Spain uh, who went to American universities were really quite shocked by the cultural differences. Um, I think it's enormous. I think there's a big gulf. Um, and Julian's lived the last four years in Portugal, which has um, culturally a very collective mentality. Uh, we've seen this in how they've approached the pandemic and consideration and care for others. There's 
There's no real rebellion about wearing masks in public and keeping others safe. Um, so he's that's sort of part of the, I would say, the value set in these international schools. They're looking for inclusivity. And um, so we were concerned because we see, at least in the news, a big divide. And the extent to which that's reflected on the ground you know, remains to be discovered more. Right. Um, but we tried to offset that by putting him in a much larger university that we thought had a much more diverse group of people. Um, so that even if he weren't getting a huge international, because you find that it runs at about 10% of the population, there, it's a school that draws people who live in the United States, but are very different culturally. Um, sure. So they may be Indian American or, um, you know, uh, Colombian American. Um, so you're really getting family cultures and which are infused into their thing. So we've put him in a larger program. He's actually in a computer engineering program um, at, in, in a larger school. And the diversity has, um, I think he's already seen that in his on-campus experience that People are different. Everybody's different. Everyone, and I'm different. Um, and he's going to identify with people with whom he has that cultural affinity or approach more so than, you know, where I'm from. Right. Um, Good. And that yeah, was yeah. very positive because um, that's a concern. You, you don't really have a sense of the campuses have very particular feels and cultures and you know, traditions and things. And that's very hard to discern when you're just looking at the information online. <laughs> right. Of course, you have to have that experience. And that's great that he had those three days. Absolutely. It really helped. And, and you would ask a question about the communication and how did that foster? And I think that one of the reasons that it was such a focus in our family from the get-go is because we had disability of communication. And when you have um, learning disabilities or you have spectrum disabilities, um, mm. those are those are communication and social implications. So um, we were had to be very careful about that. Yeah. Um, and so if you can talk a little bit about that, how, you know, because I know you as a con very conscientious person and you think in advance of those things, of thinking how how is this communication uh, um, ability going to play out in a program, in a college program, especially in terms of the, the pressures um, on that, you know, on, on all the students, but pressure certainly on any student with a learning profile that, you know, makes it more difficult or makes it more specific. So I think that that's a really important thing to think about. Yes. And I know you have. That's why I wanted to talk with you. Well, whether you disclose that, we we opted not to put that out in front and center. We talked about it in when he did his essay. He mm -hmm. talked about how his interest evolved and, and he applied early, um, but I think that because he was getting into a very competitive engineering program, that he was an easy candidate to weed out because he didn't have those perfect scores. We weren't really sure what his IB outcome was going to be until July, and we knew that there's an irregularity. So he could be an A student one semester, and he can hit the B minus or B in a different semester. So that's typically not what the colleges we're really looking for. And so we had him write about things which were meaningful. How did I, why am I interested in coding? And his answer was, well, it started out with a simple game 
you know, video game. (laughs) And I started to decompose the video game until I realized that I can actually make video games. And then he did some self-teaching and some work outside of school. But it was really, it came from him. It didn't come from, oh, he should learn coding because coding's the next great sexy thing to major in. Um, It's very tempting to major in cybersecurity now, which right. he has some interest in. But as we spoke to the dean of the engineering school, she said, maintain your approach, which is do the engineering base, do the computer science programming minor, and then stay for an accelerated master's program, and then specialize in your, is it going to be cyber or gaming or robotics or what you choose? But if you can build the hardware and you can program the software, you can do that across industries. So she said to me, as a parent, this is probably what you're saying to me, is you want that very wide approach with that very solid foundation and then a specialization versus taking a very narrow specialization, which may be a big growth uh, industry. I suspect it will be, but there'll still be space for him with those deeper skills built and he'll have the time to build them. You know, it's, it makes me, it makes me so happy. I mean, not just because I know your family and I know the kids and, you know, that makes me so happy, but also that, you know, you and I had talked many years ago about conversation and how conversation, keeping conversation open and keeping it moving is really such a way of helping kids, helping adults, helping anybody, whether you have a learning profile that challenges you, um, in a certain way, or whether that's an undiagnosed or any of those sort of things. And I do believe that that kind of uh, conversational ability is is such a lifesaver because it is what, what, what communicates your interests, the things that really get you up in the morning. And it's not just, you know, a paycheck or not just something, you know, of being in the right crowd or being the, the as you say, the sexy um, major at this point in time, but of really going into that conversation saying, you know, what means something to me is this. And I think, you know, it's, it's such a fortunate, um, a fortunate, um, I don't think accident. I think it's something that comes from what we were talking about earlier of being together and conversing and, and having to make changes so that things work. And, and individualizing. I, I think that's one of the things that, that was really relevant to us, David, is that um, we take for granted communication. And when yeah. your first child is born and you're, you know, we had a diagnosis very young and my biggest fear was not being able to communicate with him, that he wouldn't understand how I felt, or I wouldn't know how he felt. And I couldn't mm-hmm. respond to that in a way that I felt was satisfactory. And so we started with sign language and we started with very nonverbal communications with him. And and we realized that no matter what the child's level as we had subsequent children, that we would accommodate that communication of each. Um, and, and that's something that everybody's aware of. The siblings are aware of that when they manage each other. Um, we have some ADHD <laughs> in several and, <laughs> and we have other spectrum in others, my, you know, included. Um, so, so, that blend of that needs to be something that's cooperative and understanding and not competitive. Yeah. Um, that the, the competitive comes in the push, the little support that says, Hey, go for your interests, but they're so different. Um, 
But but one of the things that did having three children of the same sex was remove an element of conversation uh, competition um, in the sense that you're not competing with your oldest brother or your middle brother or the you're you don't have to feel like you're the youngest. You have something unique to bring to the table. And this is a team. And how can we you know, how can you your brothers are a resource to you and a really good one. Um, yeah. So we've always tried to foster that. And I think we see that now that they're communicating beyond us and regularly. And I find that very satisfying. Um, uh, I don't know if that's helpful, but. <laughs> it's very helpful. I was going I was going to lead us into the empty nest, but I realized that that's not quite, <laughs> it's not really an appropriate conversation because it's not empty. It's fact, it's so full because you are so engaged. Um, um, I'm sure both of you, I think Pierre probably as well, engaged in, uh, in these wonderful conversations of these wonderful three boys, individual boys that have their lives, um, you know, that they're able to work work fully in with what they were given, with with the talents and the limitations and the profiles that they have. And mm-hmm. each of them, uh, and because I know the family uh, so well, um, Jody had to be one of my first podcast people just for the the, the sheer interest <laughs> and, and power of um, positive, really positive conversation in, in, within family. It is such an important element. And I think mm-hmm. exactly what you said um, for me rings true that through that we gain such a sense of ourself uh, from the inside out. And it's something that is just, it's so in, it's invaluable. And it is so uh, heartening for me to always keep touching back into it, you know, so I'm always yeah. really happy to, to hear that. Really happy. It, I think it does invite a lot of self-reflection, but we always looked at those disabilities as strengths and weaknesses. And so, you have a disability and it's this, and that's your set, and I have that, and it's this set. And so there was never a stigma. We really worked very hard that that not be the defining thing about their personalities, or right? Um, and that that was not a focus. It was really, what are you interested in? What do you love to do? And I realized I had a little guy who really didn't speak very much who could write poetry. And so you take these expressions and you, and eventually you see a thread and, and, and you look back now and I think, what have the boys done? You know, one, the oldest is 25 and I'm not surprised at all where he is. And I see now that he'll go further, but it's more of a sharing than a hovering. Um, We really like that intimate, enclosed conversations. Some of them are hard. Some of them are, um, because you have to confront yourself, but we've tried to teach the kids in sharing some things about ourselves, um, work experiences, difficult challenges we've had during a lifetime of, you know, more experience by showing that you, you need to embrace those things. There are times when you make mistakes, it really, you've made a poor judgment or, and how do you consider that? How do you reflect on that and take that forward? Um, and not let this, disability define you, how that can become an asset. And um, right. exactly. I think it's not, it, I would say there's an underlying positivity to it, but, but it's, it's really because, you know, we know that we never really reach our full potential, just like IQ is not a static thing. Right. Um, 
so so you have to teach and show the kids that you continue to change and evolve and adapt, particularly now we're all in that situation where we've kind of scrambled because everything we know and love has disappeared to some degree. And in that you have to find the, where, where you rekindle that. To reframe. Yeah. To reframe it and say, okay, here I am now. What do I do? So I think that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And feel optimistic about a future that's most uncertain. Or yeah. most more variable than we we sort of thought. It's um, a it's such a tribute, uh, honestly. And I, <laughs> I I wanted you to be one of my first, but it wasn't really to to be you know uh, fanning your flames of of my favoritism <laughs> at all. But it really it really is a sign, you know, of of continuing to grow and really seeing change as a as a positive, as something that you you know that we all have in our life. You know the one of the first um, uh, the online courses that we've written that I've written is parenting in uncertain times, and the joke about that is, is that all times are uncertain. And it's, <laughs> is that it's how you approach the change because it's it really is something of of learning how to look at change as uh, you know not not as a negative but not as a reactive force but as one that challenges you to respond. And for you to talk about your sons in that way, each who has a, a differing learning profile, um, is so is so rewarding for me. Maybe I called just so that I could feel so good about it because <laughs> <laughs> because I got to find her in Hawaii so that I could call her. But seriously, it's just such a tribute um, uh, to all of you, and it's uh, it's just gives me such um, such hope. You know, when I closed the office three years ago, I thought. I don't know, you know, this is this is an entirely different um, different uh, approach, you know, what I'm doing now. And and I miss having these the daily touch. I miss that so, so badly. So it's wonderful to hear you talk about the boys. And I go, okay, great. (laughs) You know, I get that. (laughs) It is a team. It is a team. And I have to say my husband, who has also um, learning issues, has it's sort of a mantra of his that you know, he had to so adapt to that school environment, which was not favorable to him, mm-hmm. that that's how he functioned. And he came at things as, okay, here's what's in front of me. I can't access that very easily. So how do I go around it? How do I go over it or under or beside? Or And it was always about finding a way to get through um, because he's a big finisher and he's a big risk, I would say a risk taker, mm. but only in the sense that we're all a bit reluctant to make those changes, which we so need mm. and which are so beneficial to us. But for him, that was survival. It was getting through different periods of you know, advanced degrees and in environments, which were not necessarily, it wasn't until he hit the PhD level that he realized he had that freedom to, to, to do it the way that his brain worked best that worked for him yeah it's exactly right but by that point it was all this method approach change your approach that really um that adaptability was key for him to get through so he came to the relationship with adaptability and i thought oh boy this is way out of my (laughs) comfort zone here (laughs) but we just reframe (laughs) so that's reframe Yeah, listen, it's just, it's wonderful to talk to you. It fills my heart with such joy. 
Um, but also, you know, reaffirms for me so much when I talk about how important conversation of reclaiming conversation in families. Um, I, I was just um, talking to a to another family who who does not usually talk, and they started implementing this, and it just they, they were saying uh, just you know twenty minutes an hour ago. Um, you know how it's just changed uh, the the, mm-hmm. the the feeling in the family, and so it's always such a such a great um, a great thing for me to hear um, because I do believe in it. I believe in that conversation it, yeah. of bringing yeah. us together so that we can show the really good parts, the really strong parts, the ones that we don't know about and we need help on. All of that it makes us such uh, so much stronger as a family and so much stronger as individuals. So it's, I well, love and I think this. to share share weakness, you know, this is one of the things that my husband brought to that, and you know, he has thirty years of a very special industry, and what he does with the boys is we talk about challenges he had, challenges in this deal, challenges with clients, times when, you know, I had this experience, but I wasn't afraid. Oh, you know, it wasn't exactly what the director wanted. How did I? make up for that? You know, how do I? And so I think that revealing that you had some doubts, that you had some oof moments, frees them up to have their own. And they think about things and they think, okay, okay, it's not over. It's not the end. It's not about the performance. It's really about how do I complete this and move through it Mm. and continue adding value or learning from mistakes. And, And that freedom to be yourself and admit that you have doubts about this, or I'm, I'm not feeling confident mm. about this process or this participation that I'm doing. Um, and how do I continue going? It, it, it relaxes, it relieves everyone to be able to say that. Um, and we shared that. So they, they don't hesitate to call and say, Hey, I've got this situation um, dealing with this dynamic with my coach and my, or my coaching staff or my director r- teacher. Yeah. Or, yeah, and so often these things are relational, um, but we hesitate to talk about those things. And there's so much resolution in that. And you actually have the answers. You're just often afraid to bring them forward in a way that's, you know, constructive. But, you know, I I agree with what you're saying. It it changes the whole feeling because everybody's mm, contributing in a way that's most authentic to themselves. And we all have doubts and we all have. Exactly yeah. true. I, and the point is about, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I think it's so funny because I wrote down conversation at the very beginning before I even talked to you. And I thought, um, uh, uh, because I've been reading uh, so many uh, books about the effect of smartphones on our, on the superficial character of staying on the surface. And they called it at one point when Twitter put in the retweet or yeah, put in the retweet button, it suddenly uh, caused a sense of um, compare and despair is what they called it. Is that especially teenage girls were pulling up pictures and saying, comparing and despairing about it, but they never were able to think, oh, but I have qualities not, and this isn't Mm -hmm. just teenage girls. This is for all of us about, um, about uh, rather being uh, in that elsewhere about really understanding that depth of character is built a step at a time and that um, mm-hmm. some of it is is fun and some of it is exciting and some of it is hard work, but to, to allow all of that. And so when I talk about conversation, I talk about 
all kinds of conversation in order to to enlarge our experiences in life. And I think that that's such a very important lesson uh, to have and why I'm so happy to talk to you because families have such a, an opportunity. I hope it's not a pressure. It certainly can be, I suppose, but such an op opportunity to have really simple conversations that are so satisfying and so uh, allow for depth of, yeah. of character development that... Well, it also... I'm sorry. It, it, what I was thinking of is it also lets children who are in school know that conforming is not the norm. <laughs> the norm comes from you and your family and people who love you and know you. Yeah. And that means that sometimes you're different than what you see at school or what you're expected to be at school. Or what you see on television or on Twitter. Or, or in social media. Exactly. And I think that you give them a new norm. And, and disability, frankly, is not a norm. Right. And <laughs> it's really hard to conform to things when you're not able to, even if you'd really like to. Um, and so that message about finding your, your you, which may conform to this environment, but maybe it means you need to find a different environment or change and shape your environment as a proactive participant. Don't, don't accept the norm, right. C contribute to a new norm. To create a new norm. Um, yeah, exactly. So by your being there, by your taking up the space that you've been given yeah. and being more proactive versus sitting back and saying, oh, this doesn't fit me. Right. Well, make it fit. Yeah, exactly. You know, what can you do to make it better for you? Yeah. Um, so, ch so change becomes the, the motivator for curiosity rather than judgment so that you're curious yes. about things so that you stay, yes. so you stay active about it for whatever happens. And we all know that's not easy, but it is possible. And I think through families and conversation, it is a, a wonderful tribute, not just to you guys, um, but to but to our human capacity to to converse and to allow that conversation to make cha to change us. It's such an important aspect, and it makes life so um, so much more joyful to live in. I think um, I was reading yeah. a report about um, people who are in their late 80s. I don't know why I'm reading that report, but I am. And, <laughs> um, and what they were saying was uh, people who are um, in active relationships doesn't always mean it's the very best one but active ones in their 50s are the ones who don't lose their language capacity in their 80s which i thought was oh, a really fascinating um, um, statistic so i think conversation is such an important one and this conversation i've had with you has been so satisfying <laughs> i'm just i'm so sorry we're so far apart i wish i was with you so i could get on the beach and go surfing that would be lovely <laughs> so you'll have to get on the beach and surf for me once the once the winds come down we'll, we'll be out there yeah but i want to thank you so much jody it was really a pleasure as always i miss our talks and i really I thank, do as well really thank you for being here i heard julian's voice in the background when he <laughs> when he turned up your your volume so please give him a kiss and tell him i'm so proud of him i'm really happy about his his college placement and i know it's going to be incredible. and the next time i'm in the states i'll drop by and say hello Oh, please do. Yeah. Or in Europe. Or in Europe. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so very much. You, Thank you, David. I couldn't have thought of a, Thanks for inviting a me. better podcast person. Thanks so much. And I hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening to Parent Ed with David Swain.
For more information, check parented.com.